We hear, have we not? People say things like, if your faith was just stronger, you wouldn't have to go through that. Mostly when we hear about great faith. I don't know about you, but I think of Abraham. I've had this conversation with Bill many a times. Do you think I could have that faith, that strong, so great a faith? Folks, I'll tell you today, right here, right now, and I want to speak to those of you who feel that there's times when your faith is so, so, so weak. How could the Lord save somebody who can't even think for five seconds rightly? I can't even get my mind to work for five seconds on the glory of my Savior. I'm here to tell you right now, here, that if your faith is God-given faith, it's all the strength you need. It's all the strength you need. What great faith Abraham had in offering up his son, and most people will stop right there with that, pointing to Abraham. Because see, that's what the world does. That's what the religious world does. We point to ourselves in the religious world outside of the truth of God Almighty, outside of the, the truth of Christ's sovereign rule over everything before God enlightened our hearts of his truth. Our thoughts were this. I. I, me. So it's natural for the world to stop right there when they talk about the great faith of Abraham. See how he gave up his son? See how great his faith was? If you would just have that kind of faith, these bad things wouldn't be happening to you in the world. Isn't that what the friends of Job did? Didn't they come to him and say, you know, if your faith was just a little stronger, God wouldn't have done those things to you. They point to an act on his part and they miss, they miss the whole point of God's faith. God's given faith. They miss the whole point of where the true strength of his faith was. Strength of faith, strength of God's given faith is not something that we do. It's not in what we can or will do. It's the strength that is in the subject of our faith. What does it say about Abraham's strength? What does it say about his faith? He had faith in God. He had faith in God. It says in Romans chapter 2 verse 8, it says, You are saved by grace or for by, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. We often feel like our faith is weak. That's why, you know, let me give a side note here. That's why we shouldn't. I know some who when, they're weak, when their faith is weak, that's when they feel unsaved the most. I don't feel like God saved me. My faith is just so weak. I asked a question of this of a brother. 
and I think I shared this with some of you just recently. I'm going to do it again. I said, do you believe God? Oh, yeah. I believe him. Then what's your problem? Well, I just feel like, oh, there you go. That's your problem right there. You just feel like I. Oh, we sure mess up when we start doing that, don't we? <laughs> we start thinking I, and that's it. That's it. We fall so short of what we expect of God, God's people, don't we? We often feel like our faith is weak. Don't examine yourself, especially when you think your faith is weak. I've had to watch a brother in Christ on the roller coaster of his life for the last month. There were times during the last month he felt like God was not with him at all. Yet every time I heard him speak of that, the conversation always came back around to this. My Lord sits on his throne. What was the subject of his faith? It wasn't in him. Was there trouble with him? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The trouble's real. But his faith was still sure in one thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. You see, that's where the strength of God-given faith is. It's in who it is that your faith is in. It's in him who is able who is able to do what he says he's going to promise to do what he says he will do I'm I'm so driven to the point my God my God why hast thou forsaken me remove this cup from me nevertheless thy will be done isn't that what our Lord and Savior did isn't that what he said Despite the pressures that God has allowed to come upon us through this world. You think Job didn't have any pressures? You think Job didn't have any sorrows? If losing his children wasn't enough, God covered him with boils. I can't imagine the pain that there must have been in the flesh. You talk about feeling like maybe you're, God's not with you? Yet not once did he turn away from who his Savior was. Not once did he turn away from who the sovereignty of God is. Why? Because he had God-given faith. That's not something you just muster up out of your own flesh. People of the world crumble under that. I watched this dear brother, but yet his faith never wavered. His faith never wavered. What was that true faith? That true faith is believing God. That's what Abraham's faith was. He believed God. He believed God. He believed God's word. He believed God's promise. God had promised Abraham a son. And God gave him that son. Even when it was impossible for his wife to have one. He said his son would be the father of a great nation. Abraham believed God. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to believe. I want you to understand that believing God is our strength. Not something you have done, but something God does in us. 
giving us the strength to believe who He is at all times, even in the face of our worst enemy, ourselves, our own sin. Abraham believed the Word of God is the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, we read these words, but we are bound to give thanks always to, to God for you, brethren. Brother, I say that to you. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because I believe you are beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification, through setting apart of the Spirit and belief of the truth. I am sorrowed for him so much to see him go through what he went through, but I'm so glad. Does that make sense? Folks, I've seen the power of God. I've seen the power of God in a brother. I can't tell you how wonderful that is. I'm sad to see him go through it, but I'm thankful to my Lord. And I know he is too. I plead with you this morning. I beg of each of you. Avoid the trap of measuring yourself by how strong you feel. How strong you feel your faith is. As God's people, we know first and foremost, I am weak, but thou art strong. Look here an example that is given us in Luke chapter 7. I'd like to read the first nine verses. In Luke chapter 7 we read, Now when he had ended all his sayings, when Christ had finished his message, his preaching that he had done back in chapter 6, in the audience of the people, he entered in in Capernaum. And a certain centurion, isn't that wonderful? Just one. Not all the centurions, but there was one who God was going to pay attention to for just a moment. Isn't that wonderful that he pays attention to some? Certain ones. There was a certain woman who came to the well. There was a certain man who came to rescue one day. There was a certain woman who came to rescue one day. Oh, to be one of God's certain people. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. They sought the Lord Jesus Christ about this centurion, this one who was outside of the camp of Israel, the one who was not even a part of the people of God. He was a a heathen, but yet he was good enough that the people of God would go to God and pray for them. That he was worthy whom he should do this. Verse 5, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. 
Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. So we see the centurion who had been brought to the point of knowing his worth before God. But notice what's next in verse 7. But say in a word. Say in a word. Folks, when God speaks, he speaks with power. Power you and I can only imagine the depth of. Speak the word. Say in a word. And my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Doeth this, and doeth that, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I say unto you folks that are following me now, I have found, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Now we're probably going to camp on these nine verses for a little while. I got two weeks to think about it. Next week I'm off. Four preachers, eight messages are going to take my place here in this pulpit. There's a lot in these, but today I want to consider this. Great faith. Great faith. Here the Holy Spirit gives us the account of a certain centurion. He gives us a picture of his character, his faith, and the healing of his sick servant by the mere will of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Roman soldier said to the Lord Jesus, I am not worthy that thou wouldest enter my roof. Neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in the word, and my servant shall be healed. The strength in this centurion's faith was not in him. It wasn't in himself and thinking, well, I know who to believe in. I'll just believe in this guy over here. He's been doing a whole bunch of good things around there. No. What does it describe to us here? It describes to us one who is unworthy. See, that's what God's people always think of ourselves. We know we're unworthy. We know there's no worth in this flesh that stands before God. We need something worthy to be able to approach God. And we don't have it in ourselves. We're not even worthy for God to look upon us. But we also know that God has the power to do what He has promised to do. To do what He says He will do. To fulfill all that He has purposed to come about. That's what it says here. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Just by your word, Lord, I know whatever you say shall come to pass. The world can't know that. I didn't know that. You didn't know that until the Lord came to your heart and gave you the gift of faith, the ability to believe. Amen. The strength was not in the centurion's faith. It was not in him, but whom he believed. 
This is that beggar over in the corner pounding his chest, crying unto the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me. It says when he heard of Jesus in verse 3. We're not told how the centurion heard. Maybe he was brought to the point as I was. Torn from the things of this world where I just burdened so badly. I, I, I don't... You know, I don't know, I don't, I can't say that I've ever considered, I can't say that I've ever considered something like uh, suicide, but I can tell you this. The Lord brought me to a point where I thought my world had ended. The world that I was in was gone forever. The world that I loved so much would be separated from me, and I don't know where I'm going to be after that. That's what we must be done. That's what must be done so that we will hear of Jesus. Maybe that's how the centurion heard about him. He went to the synagogue and says, What about your God? All the gods of us, all the gods of our of our Roman gods, they're all they've done nothing for me. I need something more. Maybe God drew him to the synagogue that day to hear the truth of who Christ was. We don't know. Doesn't matter. When he had heard. Folks, a lot of people hear about Christ. Many people have come into this building and heard about Christ and got up and walked out. He had to hear with the heart. A new heart. A God-given heart. One that has faith in Jesus Christ the Lord. One who believes. Whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? I know everybody wants to focus on God to love the world, but that's not the point. The point is this, that God loved somebody in the world that whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. Our Lord sent His Word into this man. And God the Holy Spirit had given him hearing ears, seeing eyes, and a believing heart. We got no way of knowing how much knowledge this centurion had, and that too does not matter. The thing is that it was significant. The thing that was significant is this who he knew. He had heard who Jesus was, and he believed. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew the one and true living God. Our Lord says over in John chapter 17, verse 3, He says, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Do you see why I told that dear brother? Do you believe God? Do you believe who He is? Do you believe everything in His Word? Oh, yeah. Then what's your problem? Well, I'm just so weak. Stop looking at your faith. And stop looking to who the one the faith is in. Our Savior, Christ Jesus. That's who our faith is in. That's who our belief is in. That's who our trust is in. It's not in us. If you're looking to yourself for strength and faith, you're going to miss it every time. And I know because I've done this. 
I sit in that office every week thinking, Lord, what am I doing here? Why would you pick me to stand before your people? Do you talk about weak faith? If I look at myself, I'm weaker than any of you are. But it's not me. It's not you. It's Him. That's where our faith should be. That's where we need to look for the strength of our faith. If we look to Him, we have all the strength in all creation. Nothing can hinder His hand. If God gave His only begotten Son for you, should He not give you everything? Is that not the promise? I'm speaking to me. I'm pointing my finger like that, but three are pointing right back at me. Folks, the centurion was born of God. The only way a sinner can ever know, can ever have eternal life is by knowing God. That's what it says in John chapter in, in, the, in the third verse there. And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You can't have eternal life unless you know who He is. You can't have eternal life unless you know what He's done. You can't have eternal life unless you know where He is right now. It says in Matthew 11, verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. What a blessed hope. What a blessed, blessed hope for those who are presently outside the people of God. Those who maybe are hearing today for the first time of the true and living God seen in the face of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Many have heard the name of Jesus, but few know Him in truth. In John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I've had family members come to me and say, John, actually, I've said to them, how can you go and pretend like you're worshiping with these other folks that are preaching a false Christ? You tell me that they preach a false Christ. You know they preach a false Christ, but yet you go worship with them and act like you're the same, your God is the same God as theirs. How can you do that? Our Lord does not save under the preaching of lies. He saves through the preaching of Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truth. Who is He? God in the flesh, sovereign ruler of everything that is. He's my Lord because He made Himself my Lord. John was His own Lord for a long time, 40 years. And then in the day of His love, He came to me and showed me who He was. What has He done? He laid down His life and shed His blood for me. That's knowing who the Lord is. That's believing. It's not easy to understand. Believing that I am as white as snow is one of the most difficult things for me to understand. But so is my Lord being made sin. So is the Lord being made flesh. 
That's not easy to understand. Knowing the Lord and worshiping Him in truth is worshiping Him where He is right now, sitting on the throne of God in heaven, working everything out according to His own purpose, according to His own will. You may have peace in what you do on this earth, but my peace is with Him who sits on His throne. And God's people will have no peace in this earth. But we have all the peace there is in our Savior, Christ Jesus. This man had heard about the Son of the living God, and he heard about how the power he had in healing and saving people. And by God's wonderful grace, this man believed just as you and I have. That's what Romans chapter 10 you know what? Turn over there real quick. I know I know some of you just know these words by heart. We refer to it so often. This is another one of those pages where I, I think the ink is almost coming off the top. I've turned to it so many times. But turn to it and read with me if you would. Romans chapter 10. We're talking about believing in the true and living God. We're talking about knowing who He is. Where he is, what he has done, and where he is right now. This is what this man believed in. He believed by the power of God to save a people. By one God's wonderful grace, this man believed. He believed this. Listen to look at these words in chapter 11, uh, ten, verse eleven. For the Scripture saith, "Whosoever believeth on him." Boy, that's great faith. That's great faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. It says, for there is no difference... Oh, I love this one too. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. I'm Greek. I'm glad to know that God looks upon me the same as He does the Jews. Oh, what joy that brings. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? When this man had heard, when you had heard, when God had spoken to your heart for the first time, how shall they hear without a preacher? I used to wonder if people would sit back and think, you know, when Gene would read those verses, I'd say, I wonder if people are sitting there thinking, oh, he's sure puffing up the position of a preacher, isn't he? God's people don't catch that. No, no. We see what the truth of that verse is all about. It's about how are you going to hear, how are you going to believe unless you hear the truth. And God sends men, sinners, sinners saved by grace, to talk to sinners, to save them by His grace. Heshem has been sent to Africa. God sent him there. To preach to sinners of the one who saves sinners by his grace. 
How you gonna know? How you gonna believe? How you gonna believe if all you've heard about is a Jesus who's waiting for you to do something? How you gonna believe in the true and living God if the Jesus you've heard about is just some Jesus who loves the whole world and can't save it? Thank God that there are men like Pastor Gene, Don Fortner, and many, many others. That those four men who are coming here Saturday, Friday, that there are men like them who will preach to men like me who need to have the Word of the Lord preached. Do you need it? That's why you're here, isn't it? Isn't that why God brought you here this morning so you could hear the Word preached? This is not a once and then done situation. Somehow someone was sent to preach the truth to God's people and this is the message we desire to hear. For we live in a world of death, a world of deceit, a world of lies. The truth sets us free from the world. Christ Jesus being the Lord is our only peace. I tell you, if I see the depth of this sin... If I could see the depth of the sin that is in this world as I do now and not have the hope that is in my Savior, Christ Jesus, the hope of what He says He will do. If I could see all the sin that is flooded all around us and not have the hope that I have in Him, I could understand why someone would consider suicide. What reason would there be to live? If we don't have God, if we don't have a Savior, one to save us from all this gunk that we live in, all the sin. Yet I do know of His sovereignty. I do know of His great love for His people. I do know of His power. I know of His ability. Therefore, that is my peace. That is my comfort. That is the object of my faith. Romans 8.28, we read these words, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. But consider with me, if you would, in closing, My greatest burden is the sin that is within me. My greatest trial is the storm of sin that dwells in my flesh. I tell you, my brethren, my consolation to all of this is Jesus Christ paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Isaiah 53.11, we read these words, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
That's our God's word to us. That's the word. That's the word of God to you and I. That's the promise He makes to His people. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. How does your spirit walk this day? Are you burdened by it? Are you burdened by what you have in this flesh? Let me tell you about this one called Christ for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 we read these words that no flesh should glory in His presence. As we saw in the Bible study earlier this morning, our God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, is above all things. When He was manifest in the flesh, you see, the eternal God has always been eternal. Jesus Christ, the Son, has always been Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. Yet for him to die for you and I, he had to become flesh. For him to bleed and shed his blood for you and I, for him to wash us from our sins, he had to become flesh. We call him the God-man. No flesh should glory in his presence. Our Lord says this in verse 30, but of Him, of Christ Jesus, of, I mean, sorry, of Him, of God, ye are ye in Christ Jesus. Notice it didn't say of you. Notice it didn't say by your decision. Notice it didn't say by you coming down to the front of the aisle and praying a Satan prayer. Notice that it didn't say by you getting into the baptismal. It says of Him, of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. This Christ Jesus He's speaking of, the one He has put us in, the one that we have been seeing in Christ before the world was, has made His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, unto us wisdom. That's great because I'm not a very smart guy, but I know that all I need to know is Him. Even a simple-minded man as me can know the Lord Jesus. Even the simple mind of Jim You know the Jim I'm talking about over in Wheatland. The young man who knows the Lord. Though his mind is simple. He knows who God is. He knows that God is God. Which is what you know. He's our wisdom. But it doesn't stop there. It also tells us that this Jesus Christ is made unto us righteousness. We see that we have none of our own. We see that there's no way we can purchase it. There's, we see there's no way we can work it out. We need somebody to work it out for us. Jesus Christ has provided it all. 
He's provided us with the sanctification, being making us holy, setting us apart. And He also provided us with redemption. We're redeemed. Our sins have been paid for. We've been redeemed to God. That according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If God has given you faith in His Son, then He will say to you, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. Not in Israel. This centurion, as all of God's people, do not put our trust in our faith. We trust in whom it is our faith is pointed to. Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.